uh, Ecclesiastes 9 and 7 says this. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy. Eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. Some of you guys are getting too excited about that second part. For God now accepts thy works. Here, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, very likely in this, in this verse, was talking about um, the fact that you should be happy to be alive. He says in the next verse, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Just rejoice because you're getting to live the life that you're living. And I, I want to hone in on that first, first phrase, and that is, eat thy bread with joy. Eat thy bread with joy. For a few moments, I want to minister on this topic. Eat your bread. Eat your bread. Look at your neighbor and say, eat your bread. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't eat my bread. It's mine. It's my bread. It's my joy. I, I eat my own bread. I don't know. I just feel like we need to pray after that. Let's pray together. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you for what we feel in this house. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I pray that for the next few moments, God, that we would begin to, to understand that communion with you is powerful and needed, especially in this day, in this hour, in this time. I pray that, God, you'd bless each one. I pray that, Lord, for the next few moments, God, there would be a right now word, God, for somebody who is hungry and is in need. I speak it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated. In preparation for this sermon, I stumbled across an article which was titled, The Most Important Thing in Human History. Let that sink in. I don't know about you, but when someone wants to tell me about the most important thing in human history, I figure I could spare five minutes. The author went on to explain that in their opinion... The development of bread as a food source is the most important thing in human history. You see, the author explained that this process of baking bread dates back thousands of years. And although I don't have time this afternoon to recite all of the history, I will tell you this, that each civilization has always had a unique and specific relationship with bread. I don't know about you, but my, my relationship with bread comes to life when I'm at the Olive Garden. And I tell them, just keep bringing bread. How many times are we going to go through this? Don't even ask if I want more bread. If the basket's empty, keep bringing the bread. Keep the salad, bring the bread. Amen, somebody? Amen. Oh, you know what, Jordan? That's perfect. I was going to say, you could just take the little black table that was right there. But now that you're already here, no, no, let's do it. Let's go all in. I like this. I like, can we give it up for Jordan, somebody? Amen. Bring the bread. Jordan is bringing the bread. Amen. There it is. I did not bring enough for everyone unless we cut it into very small pieces or unless God performs a miracle, <laughs> which he's been known to do. But in Bible times, bread was especially significant, and it was a vital food source. Jesus understood this when he used the term bread. And, of course, in the Old Testament, 
we see the illusion and, and, and the literal sense of bread, the symbolism being used over and again. But what amazes me about bread in the Bible is that uh, history would tell us that it would literally take two to three hours of hard labor each day, most of the time done by the woman of the house, the wife, or the mother of the home. Two to three hours just to make enough bread, a painstaking process for five people for one meal. Wow. Fast forward a couple of thousand of years to the 1920s in America and a phrase becomes popularized and maybe you've heard it. It's the best thing since... No, no, that's perfect, yeah. Sliced bread. It's the best thing since sliced bread. The phrase is commonly used today to describe uh, how great something is, comparing it to the wonderful invention that we call sliced bread. I always wondered where it came from, and this is where it comes from. During the 20th century, uh, bread baking was industrialized to make the process much quicker and consistent so that it could be mass-produced. In 1928, Otto Frederick Roweder developed a bread-slicing machine that both sliced and wrapped bread. At first, American consumers weren't so sure about the invention or what to think of it as they were unfamiliar with the concept. However, by World War II, they were so hooked on its convenience that there was a national crisis when they would no longer allow access to the bread slicing machines during rationing times. Initially, this was a part of, the, of America's war effort to stop producing the machine so that they can, could, could conserve the tons of steel that it took to make one of these machines. However, there was such backlash even during wartime, that the unpopular ban was lifted after only two months. <laughs> now that's probably more facts on bread than you expected or even wanted to hear in one sermon. But there it is. But I have to agree with the author of the original title, of the original article. Bread is the most important thing in human history. But the bread that I'm referring to, as you might well know, is not literal bread. But it is bread that is symbolically represented in the one that we call Savior. In the one that we call Jesus. Because what you've got to understand is that Jesus self-proclaimed this fact. I am the bread of life. In fact, in John 6 and 35, he stood and he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And then he repeated himself in verses 48 and 51. He repeated himself until it became clear to his audience, watch this, that he didn't just come to give bread, but he came to be bread. And that's what you got to catch because that, is my main point this afternoon. Jesus doesn't just give the bread. Jesus is the bread. He is the sustenance. He is the one that will sustain you and keep you and fill you. And a lot of people show up to church and in their time of need and they need an answer for a physical touch, a healing in their body, or God to bless their finances, or maybe everything is in disarray. And can I tell you, 
Undoubtedly, our God is faithful to tend to our needs. And if that is you today, I promise you in no way, shape, or form am I telling you that you're in the wrong place. You're in the right place today. But I'm also telling you simultaneously that there's something even greater than an answer to the prayer that you are bringing. More than He will just give you some bread for your situation. More than He will just heal your body and give you a momentary physical touch. More than He will just put your life back together, your finances back together. Can I tell you, He's not just offering something that He can give you with His hand. He is offering Himself to you and to I today. I'm telling you that He is in this place. He's not just giving the bread. He is the bread today and the sustainer and the life giver is in the room and if you believe that I wonder if you could just put both hands in the air and begin to say God I want you to touch my life I want you to touch my mind before we even get another minute into this sermon I'm praying Lord that you would be the life giver for somebody I'm praying that salvation God would come to somebody's home and life today I'm declaring that the bread is in the room in the name of of Jesus. So we look and oftentimes the greatest miracles that Jesus performs and the greatest stories in the Bible somehow they have the context and the connotation of bread. And so today for a few moments I want to maybe pull out a few points from these stories and I think before we leave this place we're going to be reminded that God is the one that sustains us and keeps us. In fact, right here in John 6 is a great place to start. Yes, Jesus there around verse 32 begins a sermon about being the bread of life. But did you know that that same chapter begins with him breaking bread? Because in that same chapter, we have what is one of the most famous miracles of all time. Because we remember that Jesus is being followed by the massive crowds because they want to hear his voice and they want to know what he has to say. And, and the Bible says they get to a far off place and he has the multitudes with him and his disciples come to him and we've got a problem. And they essentially tell him, Jesus, the people are hungry. And the Devon Acres interpretation of that is the people are Hangry. They're, they're Betty Whites out there right now. They're not themselves when they're hungry. Forgive me, Lord. What are we going to do? And I love this because what we find is in John chapter 6 and verse 7. Uh, Jesus is having this conversation and Philip has this answer and, and I like it in the NIV. This is what it says in the NIV. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Isn't that a cool translation? We miss that in the KJV because we don't understand the word pennyworth or denarii, the, the way that they used money. But he said this, essentially, we don't have enough. And even all that we could scrape together, the best that we could do, everybody would get one bite. And everybody knows one bite of bread is just enough to make you even more angry than you were before. I'd rather have any bite of bread. And so he looks and Jesus says, bring the lad's lunch. You remember this story? Bring the child's lunch to me. There's one boy and I love it because he thought ahead and, and he has to give his lunch. I don't know about you, but I don't like sharing my bread with people that didn't bring their bread. But this lad, is, he, he submits himself to the will of God, to the will of Jesus. And you know the story. They begin to take that bread and those, those loaves and those fishes. And the Bible says that as the disciples begin to distribute it out among the crowd, it just keeps breaking. 
And it just keeps breaking and it just keeps breaking. And by the time it, all, it is all said and done, the entire crowd is, is filled. They, they eat together. They commune together because the bread just kept breaking over and again. And not only were they filled, but the scripture says that they had enough left over that they put it in baskets so that it would not go to waste because Jesus wanted his own disciples to understand, I'll take what you bring, even as small and as little as it may be, and I will sustain you if you'll offer it to me. And somebody in this room today walked in with just fragments. Somebody walked in here today knowing I haven't prepared my life the way that I should have prepared it. Things haven't worked out the way that I thought that they should work out. And I'm almost embarrassed to offer Jesus what I have because I know the need is so much greater than the supply that I'm bringing to Him. And that can be a very humbling place to be. But I'm telling you the principle from the word of God is if you will just hand me the pieces and the fragments of your life, I will show you that in my hands I can break the bread and sustain you. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter what kind of brokenness or sin or shame you might be in today. I don't know if religion has left you empty. I don't know if people have broken your heart. I don't know if you're walking in with a wounded spirit or bitterness or church hurt or whatever it might be. But if you will take that sin and that shame even if it's completely self-inflicted and your life has imploded because of your wrong decisions if you will bring that to a savior's hands he says listen i am the bread so if you'll just give me what you have i'll re-break it and redistribute it and by the time you turn around you will see a miracle done in your life is there anybody that when you showed up to jesus you had nothing to offer him but he took that little that you had he took that willingness he took that altar call experience and he broke it and he multiplied it over and again. I'm here to tell you, he's going to sustain you. He's going to keep you. But there's got to be a willingness to give. We see this same principle but flipped in reverse. I love this because the Bible says, and we love this woman because she's a Gentile woman. She comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 15. And the scripture says that her, her daughter is vexed and broken. And this woman is desperate. And I can feel it in this place today as I feel every Sunday, as I feel in my own life. There's times that we get just desperate. And that, that element of desperation oftentimes is what drives us to that place that we need to be. And God will allow things in our lives just so that we'll get intimately acquainted with Him. Because when I, when I sense my own need and my own brokenness, that's when I'm driven to a Savior's arms. And the Bible says this woman comes to Him knowing that she's a Gentile, meaning she doesn't have the lineage, the bloodline of someone who is Jewish, the rightful, the rightful children and heirs of God. And yet because she's vexed and her daughter is broken, she says, and she begins to cry out and ask for a miracle, begins to pray for a miracle. And at first, Jesus gives her the silent treatment. Now, in our 21st century culture, we'd be gone. We'd, we'd jet. That's it for me. He's not even talking to me. But when you're desperate, it doesn't matter. The Bible says she keeps pressing. And, and then finally, Jesus turns around and he says to her this famous verse. You guys ready? You remember this verse. Woman... It's not for me to give to the dogs what is rightfully the children's. Oh, yeah, yeah, that hurt. Now, here's something I, I read. I begin to study this. Oftentimes, we misunderstand this. And you got to hear me right now. We misunderstand this because we think in our language, if somebody calls you a dog, 
it is the worst type of insult. Now, there are two words in, in, in Greek for, for dog here. And Jesus actually used the one that was less insulting. He specifically named the word for dog that meant pet. Now, I know that doesn't help a lot. <laughs> but it made me feel a little better. You know, I love my dog, but I, I, I love my kids. You know what I mean? But what, is, what I found interesting here is Jesus was actually, he, he set her up for her response. You see what I'm saying? Jesus actually set her up. It was never the desire of Christ to not give her what she needed. Just get that in your mind. Okay? He, he knows everything. He knows all things. He wasn't astounded or shocked by the way that this conversation went. His sovereignty, where he was at, the Savior, he knew exactly. And can I just tell you, let me just take a side road here in this sermon. Sometimes you and I actually need the silent treatment from heaven. I know that's not comfortable to hear. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes we just have to seek and keep seeking. Sometimes we have to knock and keep knocking. Because depending on where you're at in your life, God knows how to get the most out of you. Come on, are there any good parents in this place that know that you can't just bend your will every time your child makes a request? Even if it's what they need, there are times that you're trying to develop something in that child because you realize there's a need greater than what they're asking for in the moment. And so in this moment, Jesus is developing and bringing something out of the woman. So not only would she be justified, but she would be justified in the eyes of those that were watching. Because the Bible says you got a lot of judgmental disciples that are standing off to the side. And when he says to her, don't you know that it's not for me to give to the dogs what is the children's bread? She answers back to him that awesome verse that we all love so much. She said, but oh, master, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, what I love about this is if you begin to study the way uh, that this culture, this Jewish culture ate, they didn't have utensils, they didn't have chopsticks. Bro, they got in. You know what I'm talking about? Like, in. And so what the connotation and context here, scholars will tell you, is that by the time a piece of bread hit the ground, I'm not going to be drinking that later, am I? It was broken and sopping and wet. And so by the time it hit the ground, and if you're a, let me tell you something. If you're a puppy, if you're the household pet, that's the way you want it to hit the ground. You just sop up all the soup and all the, I want all the grease. Give me the real thing. Don't. So the connotation, the context here is that by the time that it would hit the ground, the dogs would come running because that was a treat for them. And so the woman takes this and says, but Lord, even the crumbs from your table would be enough to sustain me in what I need. And the Bible says that when Jesus hears those words, he looks and he says, faith like this have I not seen in all of Israel. Can I just tell you today, all you need is a touch, just a small touch from God. You, I'm just telling you, I want to remind somebody in in this room. All it takes is one talk with Jesus in an altar to turn some things around. All it takes is one moment with Him. I know it may just be a crumb to somebody else, but has there ever been anybody besides me? You find yourself in a dry place, maybe in a dry season, in a broken place, and then there's a moment in prayer that you just break through, and in that place of breakthrough, I know that that song wasn't much to anybody else. I know that just looked like a little bit of sermon, a little bit of a sermon to everybody else on Sunday, but it did 
did something for my spirit. It shook me. It sustained me. It filled me. It may have just been a message from YouTube, from an apostolic preacher that everybody just flies over, but for me, it sustained me throughout my week. It may have just been a trip uh, to work. It may have just been a commute, but when I cut that worship music on my way, I know I just get 20 minutes of worship, but I turn my car into an altar. Just a little bit. It sustains me and keeps me. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. I'm just telling you that today you may have walked in with brokenness, with fragments, with crumbs. And you may feel like you're just reaching for the smallest pieces of what God can give you. But in this room right now, I've come to remind you of the words of Jesus. Is that they will sustain you. Because the bread that you're getting is no ordinary bread. It's not just a bread that will bless your life. It's not just a bread that will touch your finances. It is the bread of eternal life. And it will keep you. And it will hold you. And I declare over somebody's life in this room today that you're not finished you're not giving up. You're not going to throw in the towel. But God has got you right where He wants you. The second thing that we look and we see this context, this, this connotation of bread, is we find out that there's actually not just the bread of, of, of Jesus, Him being the bread, but bread oftentimes, or, or the, the table oftentimes, can be set by the enemy as well. In fact, when I, when I look at the Scripture and I just want to challenge us for a moment to think about this. Is I look at what Jesus was talking about even in the Lord's Prayer. When He said, give us this day our daily bread. You remember that verse and that scripture? When we look at that and we think about the fact that every single day we have to choose to take and to eat and to consume. I look and I, I think about the fact that there are certain days in my life that I can look back and when I'm struggling and I'm frustrated... I have to ask myself the question. I don't always phrase it like this, but in this context, I will. Have I eaten what God has given me to eat? Have I consumed the bread that God has given me? What, what are you talking about specifically? Let me just boil it down. Have I gotten into the Word? And have I eaten this book right here? So what, eating this book? What are you talking about, preacher? That's, that's a scriptural context that you can go back to the Old Testament prophets all the way to John the Revelator. And oftentimes the depiction is, is that you would consume the word. You would consume the word. You see, there is a way to get to a place in your life where the word of God sustains you. Listen, not every day is Sunday. Amen, somebody? And for our setup team, they're like, amen, thank God for that. I love Sundays. I had a lady walk up to me one time at a campground. This was an old school camp. We started on Sunday night. I'm like, Sunday night? We start camp on Sunday night? This was confusing to me. For you, some of you guys are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't grow up in church. Just let me tell you, it threw me off. And they're like, yeah, you come in on Sunday night and then you preach five nights. And then we want you to teach in the morning. That is the God's honest truth. I'm like, I don't even have that many sermons. Like, I don't know what to do. I was, I was a lot younger. You think I'm kidding? I literally was like, Dad, you're going to have to email me some stuff. Some of that old people won't know. I'll retitle it. It'll be awesome. Just send me some stuff. And I was dead tired. It was like Thursday afternoon. I mean, bro, I was tired. I was beaten. This old sweet lady walked up to me and she said, Brother Devin. I said, Yes, ma'am. I think this is what heaven's going to be like. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, God, I hope not. <laughs> that sounds, I'll tell you what it sounds like, and it ain't heaven. 
I'm just going to tell you, I have no clue why I told that story. <laughs> the fact of the matter. <laughs> now I'm getting myself tickled. Okay. The fact of the matter is not every day is Sunday. There you go. Thank you, Jesus. You're welcome. Not every day is Sunday, and thank God for that. Because the fact of the matter is, you got to pick this book up and you got to know it for yourself. You got to actually read it, you got to consume it. Why? Because it will sustain you. I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so, this is the bread at his table. When I open up the word of God and I say, feed me with your word, it's eternal, it's living, it's real, it's sustenance for you and for for me. And yet there are days where I know I pull up to the enemy's table and I, and you say, what do you mean by that? Let's just take you to to where, where Jesus was tempted. The Bible says in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, the same story is depicted. The Bible says that Jesus is driven out into the wilderness. You remember this before his ministry would launch? He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. And, and the Bible says that in the midst of that fast, at the very end of it, the devil comes to him and he tempts him. And does anybody remember the first temptation that the devil gave? Gave our Lord. It was this. Turn these stones into bread so that you can satisfy your physical hunger. You see, there's, a, there's an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. And when I, talk about, uh, the, when I talk about the table of the enemy, I'm not just talking about, you know, the worst sin that you can think of. Listen to me for a moment. I'm talking about satisfying a carnal mindset. I'm talking about something that satisfies my flesh. But the Bible says that that flesh, when I feed it, it's enmity or separation from God. I'm living a life unto myself, for myself, and by myself. And anybody ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand, but we've all been there where we, where we realize I'm not spiritual. I'm not doing what I need to be. I'm, I'm, I'm setting myself at a carnal table, and this is what the enemy was tempting Jesus with. He said, you're hungry, you need sustenance, why don't you just go ahead and turn these stones into bread? And the Bible says, he looks and he says, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone. You remember that. But every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, there's times where you and I are tempted to fulfill whatever it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the things that we all battle as common men and women. We are tempted to, to, to begin to fulfill ourselves, but then we stop and we say, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to the voice of the enemy or the voice of flesh. Why? Because man does not live by physical bread alone. But the way that I'm going to be sustained is if I will listen to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Can I tell you, every day of your life, God's got a word for you. Every day of your life, God's got something that will sustain you and keep you and hold you. But you and I, we got to go get it. We got to mill it out. We've got to begin to listen. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the word of the Lord is going to say. I want that bread. I want something that's going to sustain me and keep me. The next thing that he says is he says this, and, and it's flipped in Luke, and it's flipped in, uh, in, in Matthew. But, but either way, he looks and he says, leap. This is what he tells Jesus. Leap from the temple pinnacle, and the angels will catch you. And everybody will see that you are so great, so amazing. And that, that temple pinnacle is, is a religious system there in, in Jerusalem. 
He said, leap from that. And, and all of this was happening in, in a vision form. And then the third thing is he says, worship me. Just bow down to me. Jesus, this is what, this is what Satan says to Jesus. This is pretty audacious. He says, bow to me and I will give you all, I'll let you rule all of the world's kingdoms. He showed him all of the world's kingdoms. Now, here's the thing that kind of bothers me about this verse, okay? Now, stick with me. I won't be much longer, but I want you to hear me. We don't have the luxury of outright rejecting everything that is represented in this verse in Scripture. What do I mean by that? Jesus lived in the systems that the devil was telling him he could have. Jesus didn't, he didn't live in the desert for more than 40 days. He came out and he was a part of the culture. What do I mean by that? The religious system was the one that Jesus was in. That he was a Jewish man. He was produced from that system. He was in that system. Furthermore, he said, this is what the devil said, you can have all of the kingdoms of the world. Now that one really bothers me because I may not be a Jewish man like Jesus and my context may not be a Jewish religious system that I'm a part of. Now you could argue that Christianity even is a part of that and there's still some symbolism there that you could take. But listen to me. I'm living in the world's greatest superpower as we speak. America. And I'm a part of its political systems. My child goes to the schools. You and I, most of us, pay our taxes. Yo, President Biden hired some people. You better get that together, you know what I'm saying? Just throwing that out there. We don't reject outright all of the world's systems. We recognize what it is. And yet here Satan is offering them to Jesus. Now how in the world am I supposed to reject something and not eat at that table yet live in it? It kind of reminds me of the verse that says, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. See, we're in this world, but doesn't it become difficult when you're constantly circling around the enemy's table? Doesn't it come, become difficult? Doesn't it remind you of the Babylonian captivity where Daniel and the Hebrew children were? And the Bible says that there Nebuchadnezzar was and those evil kings were and those political systems were. And they were saying, I know you have a different dietary system. I know that you have a different way of thinking. I know you have a different way of living. But could you just let down on that a little bit? And why don't you just eat at our table? That was a literal invitation. Just eat at our table. And yet they stood in the midst of that. And do you know that many of them stood not only on the outside, but what we find about Daniel and the three Hebrew children is that they were actually elevated within these systems because of their talent, because of their skill, and yet being elevated within the system, they still did not partake of the bread of the system. Now let that sink in for a moment. God wants to elevate you within the world and the context that we live in, and yet is going to give you the power so that you don't eat bread from the enemy's table. You see, I can be in this, but this isn't my master. I can be in this world. I can work in the workplace. I can excel there in the school. I can excel. I can even gain some popularity because maybe God has given you a personality or God has given you a talent or a skill. But you just best know, I'm not going to be pulling my chair up to the enemy's table to partake. No, sir. I may be here. I may be in this, but I'm not of this. You see, my essence, who I am, I'm made up of something different. I'm not telling you I'm elite. I'm not telling you I'm better. I'm not 
not telling you that I've done anything to earn it, but I am telling you there is one who is greater than any world system. And I don't get my sustenance. I'm not sustained by the world's bread, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Church, we need this word. We need this word. We still got to preach it. We still have to believe it. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We are sustained by this word. If you would, go to Isaiah chapter 4. And I want to show you something there in verse 1. This is such an interesting scripture. Isaiah 4 and 1. It says this if they have it on the screen. This is speaking of the last days. Now, Isaiah was talking about uh, exile. He was talking about the children of Israel when they were in the midst of, of captivity. Just like I was talking about, at least in a sense. Now, watch what he says. You've got to catch this. In that day... Seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread. that interesting? That's interesting, isn't it? You mean I can have seven wives? And they're going to eat their own bread? Some of y'all are like, well, never consider polygamy, but... They're going to wear their own apparel. They're going to shop for themselves? Okay. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Woo, let that sink in for a moment. Do you understand that, yes, Isaiah was speaking of his day and time, but what even Isaiah didn't understand is that his prophetic word would outlast him all the way to the New Testament. When you fast forward to the book of Revelation, the scripture says that there's seven churches. And what are we? The church is the bride. Leave that verse up there if you would. The church is the bride of Christ. So our husband is the groom. Our groom is Jesus. And do you know that he had alt with many of those churches? You've kept part of my word. You've eaten some of my bread. But the bread that you didn't like, you threw it to the side. See, there's certain parts of this word that the modern Christian world likes. But then there's certain parts that rubs us the wrong way. Well, that's not culturally sensitive anymore. That's not something that we like anymore. That's not politically correct. Now this part, I like. I'm not going to eat it. My mouth is too dry. I'll choke up here. See what I'm saying? I don't like that part. But I do like this part. So I'll consume. Here's what we want. We'll go get our own bread. Just let us be called by thy name. Let that sink in for a moment. Let that get into the mind of the church. That in the last days, there is a temptation to reject the bread from the master's table. Every word, every word that proceeds out of his mouth and say, Hey, just give us your name. We don't want the holy lifestyle that you've called us to live. We don't want to be who you've called us to be. But if you'll just give us your name. And can I tell you, some of the most popular Christians in the world right now are people that live by that. And I'm not trying to condemn or be judgmental of anybody. I'm praying that they'll come to the master's table and they'll eat the bread that has been given to you and I. But listen to me when I tell you, we don't have the luxury, we don't have the ability, we have not been given 
any latitude to reject certain parts of the words that proceed out of his mouth and take others. No, sir. Every word in this scripture is good for me. It's good for correction. It's good for holy living. It's good to push me towards salvation. Let me just tell you, I want to consume it. I want to consume the parts that taste bitter. I want to consume the parts that taste good to me. I want to consume the parts that are culturally sensitive. And I want to consume the parts that may be culturally or currently insensitive according to some. I just want to be sustained by the bread of life. Why? Because it's truth. And the truth will set men free. Can I tell you, we don't need bound up churches. We don't need people that are in the same chains of addiction, in the same chains of brokenness. No, we want to consume the bread from the word of God. Give me the bread so that it will sustain me and give me life. Give me the bread so that I can have that freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to eat the bread that he's called me to eat. I'm closing. I'm coming to my last point. Hear me right now. The final point, which is most important, is not only is the bread the word of God, but as I said at the beginning, Jesus is the bread. That's the most important thing. You've got to hear that. Jesus himself, he said, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Myself, me. When you come and you, you eat and you dine, you've got to understand that I am, in fact, understand this, maybe you did or didn't know this, but it's so powerfully prophetic. The Bible says that he was born in Bethlehem. Remember that? You know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Come on, somebody. That's a restaurant I'd eat at right there. House of bread. Count me in. Acres love bread. You know what I'm saying? We do, man. We love bread. I love the smell of bread. I'm just, I'm just telling you. It's, and and, and that's, that's what Jesus is. Jesus, he came from the house of bread. And he is the bread. And so there he is. And you see this prophetic, and I could go back in Scripture. I don't have time. It could be a whole series just talking about this topic. But you've got to hear me right now when I tell you the connotation is this. Is, is when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says things like, choose you this day. You know, you, you've heard that Scripture in the Old Testament. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Do you know that Jesus specifically was saying, and it wasn't an accident, it was on purpose. What he was saying was this, is eating bread is an everyday process. We see the illusion of this in the Old Testament. You remember how God sustained his people in the wilderness? Manna from heaven. And the Bible says that they would have to consume it in that day. They would have to eat it then. Because if they waited, what would happen? It would corrupt. The worms would take it. And it would become disgusting and gross. Now, you got to hear me for a moment. The connotation, the idea that's being driven home is that every single day, you got to have relationship with me. you got to consume what is good. You've got to get in relationship. Hear me. I'm talking to a young church right now. I'm talking to some people who you're just now starting to foster your relationship with God. I'm talking to me right now. I can't live on yesterday's experience. I can't live on my father's religion and commitment. I can't live on another church's name. i got to know him for myself. And can I just tell you, I'm getting to a place where with my own children in my life, my own challenges in my life, this feels more relevant than it's ever felt to me. 
When, when, when I'm in the worst situations of my life, it's when I realize, God, I can't live on yesterday's experience. I have to have you right now. I've got to have you today. I've got to have you in this moment. I've got to get in your word. I've got to have a relationship with you. Would you just close your eyes? Would you bow your head with me right now? God, I pray in this room that somebody... Let conviction fall on somebody so that, Lord, they would begin to understand the importance of consuming you, of taking and eating of the body, which is that fellowship, that good part, God. I speak that in the name of Jesus. The reason, I'm actually glad Jordan put this table up here because actually it makes a better point because it's probably probably the, a better size, a more correct and accurate size. Hear me right now. The Bible says that in the Old Testament, there in the tabernacle plan, you did good, Jordan. I don't know if you heard me compliment you while you were running around, but good job, Jordan. You were used of the Holy Ghost there. That there was this table in the tabernacle. If you don't know what the tabernacle was, the tabernacle was the way that the Jewish people in the Old Testament worshipped. Because you had a holy God and an unholy people, okay? And they could not commune except for a specific plan. And everything in that tabernacle was a type and shadow of things to come. And in that tabernacle, which was pretty large, there was a table about this size. And the Bible says it was made of wood and it was covered in gold. Gold plated is what the scripture says. And it was called the table of showbread. And this is what it looked like. Minus me just ravaging through the bread and throwing it everywhere. Six and six, the scripture says. And, and what would happen at this table of showbread is we would see the symbolism of worship and communion. Hear me right now. The Bible says that the high priest would come in and he would go over to that table and at that table, and I think about this because they didn't have, those priests in the Old Testament didn't, ha didn't have the revelation and the understanding of all of what they were doing because they didn't know Jesus. They didn't have the New Testament context, the idea of grace. But there they would come to this table and at that table was represented so many amazing things. You can actually take that verse off the screen. I just realized it was still there. Thank you, you're doing an amazing job. Like next week we come back, it's still there. She's like, you never said to take it down. And so there at the table of showbread, we see a symbolism of Jesus. And the first thing that is symbolized is this. And they knew this. They understood this in their worship. Was that God was telling them, I'm going to be your salvation. No matter what you go through, I will always be your salvation. I will always fill you. I will always keep you. That's a promise today for you, somebody in this room. I just want you to hear me for a moment. Somebody in this room needs to hear this. The devil wants you to think that you're not going to be saved. You're not going to make it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is the greatest lie that you could hear. Because there is a promise all the way from the Old Testament, all the way from the very first verse in the Bible that we see God is our salvation. And He is here to save you today. But the second thing is this, is He's also our providence or what we could call our essence. This represents, this bread actually represents God as a creator in that everything we have comes from Him. Everything is by Him. Every single thing, it was created by a creator. But the third thing is this. It represented and it represents 
the lamb sacrificed. It was this prefiguration of Jesus Christ. There at that table, we could see what was to come. And what we see in Scripture is that why would, they, why would it be made of wood and then plated with gold? Because the wood would represent His humanity, but the gold would represent His deity. And what you find in Scripture is that even Jesus in the New Testament, when He would talk about the table and talk about the bread, He would talk about them as one item. They were not separated. This was one item. And so the idea is that this, all of this represents Jesus. But what I love and what I found as I was beginning to study about this, and you got to hear as I end this, is that the table was called by the priests, by the Jewish people. It was known as a few things, but here was what it was known as. It was called the Lord's table or my table. It was there. It was a place that God would come and he would dine. And the context was, the idea was face to face. The table represented intimacy with God. You see, the relationship piece is what God has always desired. Can I hear Can you hear me just for a second? Just listen when I tell you this. You don't want a relationship with God more than He wants a relationship with you. You don't want a relationship with God more than He desires it. He put it in His plan of worship. And He said, yes, you're going to go to the labor of water. You're going to wash your hands. You're going to worship. You're going to do many things. But there's going to be a moment where you sit down at my table and you look at me face to face. And we commune and we sup together. That's why when we get to the New Testament, the Bible says hours before He would go and He would die on the cross, where does He sit down? We call it this. The Last Supper. And he looks at his disciples. And the Bible says they come to that private quarters, that, that room, and they look. And my dad was, well, Dad, I'm going to steal your sermon. Just like, so if you don't like it, you can get mad at him. But we were talking about this the other day, and my dad said he was reading. And this is interesting. When the disciples came to the Last Supper, because it was Passover, they were expecting a table full of festivities that would have been represented in what was a normal Passover meal. But the Bible says, watch this, what did Jesus have on the table? Only two items, basically. Bread and wine. They were thrown off by this. Where's all the other stuff? Well, this doesn't look like a normal Passover. We've been doing this our whole lives. We're Jewish men. And we came all the way here and all you have is bread and you have wine. But then what does he say? He says, take. This is my body. Eat. It represents my brokenness for you. Drink. This is my blood that's poured out for you. And what do we call that? Communion. Communion. You see that last supper, that moment, that, that place that they were at. What is he doing? He's saying, I want relationship with you. I want you every day to come in and I want you to commune with me. I want you to wake up in the morning and I want the first words out of your mouth to be, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for another breath. Thank you for the opportunity to know you. I want you in the midst of your most broken and worst place to be able to lift your head and come to that table and face to face see me.
Can I tell you, I don't know where you're at right now, but I can tell you there's a table that's been prepared for you, even in the presence of your enemy. And that table is a place where you can see God face to face. How? Through Jesus Christ.